You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. You are listening to a live Halloween performance by Chatterbox Audio Theater on 91.1 WKNO Memphis or 90.1 WKNP Jackson. This is Shannon King. Remember our warning that tonight's stories are not for the faint of heart? This is another reminder. If you are easily frightened, disturbed, or upset, please consider turning off your radio now. Still listening? Excellent. For our next story this evening, we travel to the windswept hills of Ireland. There in a small village, a profligate young man is about to learn a most terrifying lesson. In a story adapted from Irish folklore by Marcus Brown, Director of Education at Theater Memphis, Chatterbox Audio Theater presents tonight's fourth tale, The Hard Night's Work. Long ago, the Celtics knew nothing of Halloween. No, they called this time of year Sawin. It was a time to celebrate bringing in the harvest, but also of honouring the dead. At this time of year, it was said that the fairies of the other world, also known as demons, goblins, banshees, leprechauns, or simply the good people, were prone to roam amongst the streets of Ireland, free as you please. Anything could happen at Samhain, and anything did happen to the Irishman known as Tinner O'Kane. Tinner's father was a farmer, and had done quite well for himself, despite all odds. The old man worked his whole life long to provide a comfortable living for his son and only living relative. You see, Tinner had taken advantage of his father's wealth and love since the time he could reach the cookie jar and the coffer. Oh, thanks, Da. I'll pay you back soon, I promise. As Tinner grew and reached adulthood, his father began to realize just how much he had neglected to teach his son about the ways of responsibility and of following the family tradition. As a young man, Tinner O'Kane knew more about drinking, girls, and gambling than he did about finance, pigs, and ploughing. It was often said by the town folk. It's easy seen what will happen to the land when the old man dies. His son will run through it in a year, and it won't stand him that long itself. Tinner was also ignorant to the ways of the invisible world, which, as you know, was rich in the old days of Ireland, and never more so than in the season of Samhain. Hmm... Well, boy, I see someone's finally getting up. Oh, morning, Da. Morning. You could have fooled me, looks like the sun is setting. I mean, hello, Father. How's your day been? I don't suppose I can count on you to milk the cows come daybreak? Oh, da, I would do anything for you. It just so happens, however, that I have a game of cards tonight, and, well, you know how long those games can oh, go. yes, you've made me well aware of that. Something on your mind, Da. Tenor, me boy, you know that I love you. Since the day you were born and your poor mother, bless her soul, went to her final reward, you've been all my pride and joy. But you're nearly a man now. Nearly? Not according to the local girls. Ah, Listen to me, boy. You've spent your life gallivanting about, never putting in a hard day's work. Now I've been carrying you all your life, and for your part, well, you've done nothing but weigh me down. The day is coming, coming, son, that you will have to carry me. Ah, don't talk so, Da. You're healthier than a horse. (laughs) Not nearly so healthy as I once was, my boy. Not nearly. That reminds me. Can I borrow another few pounds? I owe last week's winnings to McGill in it. You know how we can get when he's wanting. Boy, you're not taking me seriously and it's working my nerves. 
One day you'll turn around and I'll be unable. Her words will be gone and you'll have no idea what you're in for. Ah, relax, would you? When you finally go to meet your maker, God forbid, your inheritance will make me the richest man in these parts, and I'll hire a good crew of farmhands who will tend this land as well as you ever did on your own. And you'll be throwing away your money in death as you've been throwing away my money in life. You know, when you talk this way, it gives me a mind to leave all my money to the church. Church? What church? You've never been able in all your life to settle on a church to attend to, da. God is God, no matter what you call it. <coughs> no matter where you choose to talk with them, boy. Besides, it's people who've drawn the line between us, not God. And that's no excuse for being disrespectful in this house, my son. The boy was right. Since the untimely death of his wife, the farmer O'Kane couldn't find it in himself to make it to any of the town street churches. He prayed in only one spot, and that was the cross in the southernmost field, the one under which his wife had rested for nearly twenty years. I'm sorry, sir. I meant no disrespect. <sighs> Look, just promise me this. In three nights the time will come to bring in the midnight harvest. We must bring in our last crop of potatoes by moonlight for good luck in the next season. And you know, I won't be out of doors after dark this time of year alone, nor should anyone. We've done the ritual every year for as long as you've lived. So tell me, boy, will you be there to help me bring in the potatoes or not? As I said, uh, I'd do anything for you. Count on me being there, though I still say it's superstitious nonsense. Superstition? Well, I happen to call it being careful. You call it whatever you like. Will you be there? Yes, da. Well... Young Tinner did not fare so well that night with his luck or money. He did, however, fare well in another vein. While spinning his night in cards and drink, he happened upon the company of a certain young lady. In the nights that followed, young Tinner was scarcely seen by his father, or his friends or fellow townsfolk either. It seems the only one who was graced by his presence was the young Annie Digman. Oh, she had a way of making him forget his mind and his responsibilities. And then, of course, folks had a way of talking and spreading word. <laughs> Boy! Where have you been? Oh, die, you frightened me. There's worse things to be than frightened, my boy. Oh, Mother Mary the Harvest. I'm sorry, Da, I forgot. I mean, I didn't mean to. Oh, let's go right now. We'll do it together. It's too late, boy. I done what I could on my own. The rest will have to wait. And tell me, have you been walking the streets at night alone? A night like this? Just like you left your old man alone to work in the dusk of night at Sowing. I said I was sorry, you crazy old coot. And enough with the bogies. There's nothing out there. There's no fairies or little people watching or monsters creeping. <coughs> and if you must know, I didn't exactly spend my ah, time alone. Boy! <coughs> now you listen good. What I've been hearing about you. Well, it makes me ashamed. You've gone and broken your old man's heart by breaking your promise to him. But I won't allow you to go and be breaking the heart of that poor young girl. Your drinking, gambling and flirting is one thing, but an innocent girl, Tenor. Tell me, do you love her? Well, yeah, I suppose I do. Well, good. That's the end of it, then. Now you go and make her your wife. <laughs> Don't be daft, old no, man. You heard me! <coughs> Soon. Soon I'll be gone, my boy. I'll not have you tarnish the family name by sitting on your arse instead of putting in a good day's work and by stealing the innocence of young women. Your mother's crying in her grave back there right now and when I join her I'll want to be telling about you with pride, not shame. How can you say it to me, Da? I swear to you now, you'll not touch another cent of my money until you put in a hard day's work. 
or rather, a hard night's work since you sleep all the bloody day, and until you've made things right, my young Miss Stigman. <coughs> da, I... I've said my piece. By morning, you'd better have decided what it's worth to you. <coughs> now help me to my bed. Da, da, are you are you all right? <coughs> oh, da, get up, da. Oh Lord, da, you're not breathing. And so, young Tinner laid his father's body on his bed and felt incredibly alone. His father's last words to him, a curse in his heart. A hard night's work? A young woman's hand in marriage? It was too much for Tinner to bear. He walked to the kitchen to find his father's bottle of corn whiskey and returned to the bed to drink his health in heaven. But, as he began to draw from the bottle, his eyes dared to wander to where he had settled his father's remains. And in the wee moment that he had left it alone, the body of Farmer O'Kane was gone. Good God in heaven! Where are you, Da? Can it be you're not really dead? Da! Da! And this was just the beginning of Tinner O'Kane's troubles that long, long night. Tinner, in shock as he was, was determined not to allow the whisk-geek to go to waste. Before long, he was about the dark streets again, hoping to find solace in his sweetheart's arms. He stumbled through the dark Samhain night <laughs> towards Annie's window. But he never made it there. Here's to you. I sing to my daddy-o. <laughs> What's that? Hello? Tenor stood stunned, his jaw hanging down. A small army was scurrying towards him, right down the middle of the road. As they approached... And approach they did, showing no signs of slowing. He began to make out the farm. Fifty of them at least, small grey men. Ears pointed, faces drawn in wicked smiles or smirks. Naked but for bits of scrap here and there. And horribly, horribly horrid to behold. No, no, it can't be. Away with your devils. Closer they came, straight towards the young O'Kane. But what was that bulky bundle that many of them carried on their backs? Good God. Stop! Leave me alone! Take your bloody package and turn back! Ah, Tenor O'Kane. Isn't it lucky and timely that we met you? What? What's the matter, boy? Where's your manners? Tongue tied to the roof of your mouth? Not real. You're not real. Oh, you're here, boys. Master O'Kane here won't acknowledge us. (laughs) We, however, acknowledge you, Tanner O'Kane. We know the life you're living and have decided to make a slave of you. Step aside, boys, and show the young man what we've got for him. As the ghastly little men lowered their great and horrific burden to the ground and stepped to the side of the road, Tenor's worst fascination came to be right in front of him. He stood, looking down at a dead man's corpse. An expression of want on its gaunt and twisted face. The blood drained from his farm. It looked almost unrecognisable, but Tenor had no doubt to whom it belonged. Go on, then, by. Pick up the corpse. No. No, I can't. Oh, you can. You must. I'll ask you again nicely. Pick up the corpse. Pick up the corpse. No! Well, no choice, boys. Get him. (laughs) A slave. You wouldn't pick up the corpse when we asked you. Now, you see how you must go on? Not the most comfortable, is it? Now stand up. 
The grey little men, having held Tenor down, had strapped the carps on the young man's back. Its arms locked across its neck, its legs bound around his waist, like a sinister game of piggyback. The carps is dead weight, feeling like a dozen sacks of horrible rotten grain. Yet it also seemed to cling to him, as if of its own power. Get it off me! Get it off! Oh, no! Only you can finish the job now, Cain. You have until daybreak to bury this carps. He must be put in holy ground within the next five hours, or you will be forever haunted by him, and we will make a slave of you your whole life long. <laughs> Come on, boys! Let's let the young man to his work! <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God, somebody help me! Get to the church. Just get to the church! Oh, come on, Tanner. There it is. The chapel at Gleanderlock. Oh, but there's no churchyard. No graves. Hey! Hey, let me in, for God's sake! Hello? Anyone here? Oh, there. A plaque on the stone ground. Oh, I suspect they bury their dead directly beneath the church. Ah, oh, a spade. Good, here. Let me just pull up a tile. Ah! Oh, easy enough. Soft clay underneath. Right, here we go. No. What? What? Who's there? Hurry. Bury me. Da, is it you, Da? I'm frightened to death. How can you be talking to me from beyond? I don't know what to do, Da. Bury me. I'm trying, Da. I'll keep digging. No. Oh, what's this? Not here. Oh, oh, there's already a body here. Look, Da, I got to bury you here. You'll pass on when I do, Da. You'll just have to share a grave with the remains of this man. No. I'll dig the grave big enough for the two of you. I just need to clear a little more. Flee from this place. Ah. Disturb us no longer. No. Oh. God, let me go! You let me go! They're everywhere! They're everywhere! I'm sorry! I'm sorry! Oh, 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 I promise to God and Mary, Peter and Paul, Patrick and Bridget that I'll mend my ways for as long as I have to live if I come clear out of this. Da, da, what do I do now? Oh, you've picked a fine time to go dumb again, you have. The next churchyard is Glenaley. It's miles from here. Right. Better get on. Oh, oh if I'm not like to die of fright, it'll be a broken back. Ah, there she is. The churchyard. Come, Da. Oh, hurry. Da, oh, you're back. Yes, Da, yes, I'm, I'm taking you to your final resting place. I'm taking you home. There she is, Da. We're approaching the gates. What? Spirits of Glenaley, why do you linger here? I am here to lay my father to rest. Are you here because you are troubled? Or is it the spirit of Sawin that has brought you back? I wish to gain entry to your grounds. I'm coming in the gate now. I'll not disturb your graves, but find a quiet corner for my father's eternal rest. Oh, 
I'm trying to bury your dog. I'm trying. Spirits! Spirits, why why do you swarm upon me? Let me put this man to rest. My father is a good man. Aye, aye, you bogies and banshees, you win. I'm going my way. Now your limbs are choking me. Hurry, bury home. Yes, Da, I'll get you to the third and the last church. Or I'll die on the way. Oh. What's that? I don't know if I can make it a step farther. The old Kilbride Cemetery should be here. But all I see is a pile of stones. Oh, Don will be breaking soon. I'm sorry, Don. I failed you again. Hurry, bury me. Oh. Oh, you're speaking again. We must be on consecrated ground. I'll take the spade and dig, Father. We may make it yet. Ah, oh, yes. Dig, my boy. We will be happy to receive old Farmer O'Keen. Uh, who are you? Where is the old Kilbride Cemetery? Burnt to the ground, I'm afraid. These remains are all that's left. Oh, I thank you, sir. But wait. Why are you so quick to receive us? After all other burial grounds have denied us. Oh, what are you waiting for, boy? Dig your father's grave, as is your curse and your duty. We will gladly receive him. If you promise to return here yourself one day. It's almost morning. And my last chance to, to rid myself of this cursed corpse. But I recognise your voice now, groundskeeper. You work for the devil, you do. And I will not give my father up to the likes of you. Nor will I deliver myself unto you any more. Yes, father. Even if we are caught by the light of dawn and will be cursed together forever, I have no choice now but to take you home with me. Don't be a fool and an idiot, boy. Leave the carps with us and live to see tomorrow. Tonight I am a slave. But at the end of this Samhain, there will be a new day. I have my own will, demon, and I shall take this carps with me, cursed though it may be. We, we shall not forget this when you stand outside the gates of hell, General King. <laughs> <laughs> Come, Dal. Come, the sun is nearly up. Let's hurry home. And so young Master O'Kane began to walk at a brisker pace than he had all the night long, the horrid abomination still clinging to him. It had grown quiet again. And though the horizon almost began to dance with fire, the night around him was darker than ever. He trotted, limped, dragged his way back the miles toward the farm home he had known all his life. If anyone had been awake or upon the road to see the sight of the weary man, looking so near to death, with the corpse of an honest dead man clinging to his frame, it would have been enough for him to drop down into a fright. Finally, they crossed the threshold of their home. The sun was almost peeking over the horizon when Tenor fell to his knees in despair, the corpse clinging as tight as ever until... Ah, home. Father, you speak. The time is at hand. Is there still hope? Hurry, bury me, Mary. Good God, have I been so daft? Hold on, Father, we're going to make it. With a newfound spirit placing the broken one, Tinner dashed again to his feet, out the back door of their farmhouse, and towards the southernmost field of his father's crops. In the distance, still shadowed a night, the plain wooden cross that marked his mother's grave awaited. As he approached, daylight began to break on them. I'm nearly there, father. And look, a grave already dug. 
A coffin, open and empty and new. A gift from the fairy's father, it must be. I know you're already gone, Dar. Now you can rest for good and for all with mother and know that I am a changed man. Home. With that, and for the first time since the horrible goblins had bound them together, the corpse began to loosen its death grip on Tinner's back. It slid slowly and comfortably into the coffin. Tinner shed a tear as the expression on the corpse's face looked happy and at ease. It then grew still. Tinner closed the lid before the first rays of the sun glanced on its black polish. He used the spade that he had carried in his hand and replaced the clay and earth that had been so mysteriously displaced the night before. When he was finished, he returned to the farmhouse, washed his hands and face, fell into bed, and slept through the next day and night and day again. When he finally awoke, it was noon of a Sunday. He rose, dressed himself, and again made his way to the home of his sweetheart, Annie Digman. When his soon-to-be wife answered the door, poor young Tinner fell into her arms and wept. You are listening to a live Halloween performance by the Chatterbox Audio Theater. This is Kevin Murphy, resident company member at Playhouse on the Square. Our next story this evening comes to us from Kyle Hadley, Chatterbox's artistic director and assistant artistic director of the Kansas City Repertory Theater. It concerns a happy young couple who has just moved into their new home. Not some decaying, gloomy structure, as you might expect, but an open, comfortable house somewhere in the country. The kind of house you might decide to raise a family in. As we learn, however, every house has its dark secrets, as does every human heart. Chatterbox Audio Theatre presents tonight's fifth story, The Children. It's fall. All the leaves are dying. That's good. I despise green. I welcome the rusty colors of age. These trees have undergone season after season for decades. Some of these might have even seen whole centuries. The air is clean. Honey? Kate? Oh, oh you scared me. Sorry. You want to give me a hand with the last of these boxes? Sure. You okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. You sure? Yeah. Hey, come here. We're going to be happy here, okay? I know. What? Is it, uh, is it the house? No, it's a beautiful house. I love it. I do. Promise? Promise. Good. I love you. (laughs) I love you, too. I hate this house, but I love this land. It's quiet, peaceful. The only other house out here is a mile down the road and we're 45 minutes from Memphis. Evan wanted us to move out of the city so he could escape all the noise, as he puts it. He claims that he hates the rat race of city life. He also claims that we moved out here so we could start a family. We've been trying to start one for a year now. With no luck in the city, we took to the woods. I doubt things will be any different here. Just slower. Quieter. Lonelier. 
There's something strange about our land. I don't know what it is. It feels like... like it has a secret. Whatever history belongs to these hills, these trees, hasn't been found out. There's a tone to the sound that the trees make when the wind passes through them. Something happened here. Kate? Honey, are you okay? What's wrong? I, I, I had a dream. Oh my, oh my, oh my God! Are you alright? I, I can't, I can't, I can't catch my breath. Shh. Calm down, easy. I, easy. I don't, I don't, I don't feel good. What's wrong? I think, I, I think I'm gonna throw up. And the tea will be ready in a few minutes. Uh, do you want anything to eat? I don't think I could keep anything down right now. What time is it? We haven't unpacked the clocks yet. I don't know, uh, 3 a.m., maybe? You can go back to bed, Evan. I'm fine. Oh, sweetheart, it's okay. Uh, I'm worried about you. Don't be. I'm fine. I just had a, a bad dream is all. <laughs> Sounds so childish. <laughs> it's not. It's your first night in a new house, sweetie. You have the right to be a little on edge. I'm not, I'm not on edge, Evan. It's okay if you are, Kate, really. Things are about to get better for us. I didn't know things were that bad before. You know what I mean, baby. I just, I just want us to have the life we deserve. I know. So, do you remember what it was about? Your dream? Yes. Did you hear something? What? It sounded like someone knocking. At the front door? Shh. Who could that be? Uh, I don't know. What should we do? Uh, answer it. Evan, wait, don't answer it. Why not? It's the middle of the night. Hey, relax, it's okay. May I help you? Is your wife at home? Excuse me? Is your wife at home? She's asleep. It's the middle of the night. I was asleep too. Now what do you want? To speak to your wife. Who are you? Tell her the children wish to visit with her soon. Children, what children? Who are you? I'm sorry to have awakened you. Hey, wait! Who are you? Crazy old man. I'll call the sheriff in the morning and figure out who that was. He had sunglasses on in the dark. A long overcoat? Yeah, actually. Did you see his hands? Were they burned? I mean, they looked rough. I wouldn't say they were burned. White hair. Kate? A scar on his forehead? Uh, have you seen him before? Yes. Well, where? He was in my dream. I used to hate gardening, but the older I get, the more sense it makes, especially now. Last week, I had an appointment with our doctor. He told me, he told me children are not possible for me. I haven't told Evan. I don't want to break his heart. Anyway, if I can't bear children, I must bear something. Hello? Hello, is someone out there? Hello? Hello, is somebody out there? Hello? Come out, come out wherever you are. Hello? Little boy? Hey. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing great. Huh? Oh, just, I'm just doing some gardening. No, in the back of the house, yeah. They're winter herbs, Evan, it'll be fine. I'm feeling fine. Yeah. I'm fine, honey. 
I know, but I know what I dreamt, Evan. No, I did not see him any other time before. Don't you think I would have remembered that? Can we, can we please not talk about this? Please. Please. Thank you. What time are you coming home? Okay. Love you too. Hello? Is anybody out there? But no one answers. My husband thinks I might have seen whoever that was at our door the other night. That I must have seen him as we were driving around here and placed him into my thoughts. But I know that I have never seen that man before in my life. When I saw him in my dream, he came to me and told me about... about the children that were coming to see me. The old man hasn't returned to the house since that night. But he will. I may not be a professional gardener, but I can cook. I've always been able to make something out of nothing when it comes to food. We haven't gone to the grocery store yet, and I... Hello? Who's there? Hello? Hello? Come back later, please. I'm, I'm busy. I said come back later! There was no one there. I'm, I'm gonna tell your parents, you hear me? I'm gonna call them up right now! Get it together, Kate. It was just some, just some kids having fun. That's all, that's all. Oh! Oh. Oh. I know you're in there. Please open the door. Oh my God, oh my God. I would like to speak to you about the children. Go away. They've sent me to speak to you. What do you want from me? Open the door, Kate. How do you know my name? How do you know my name? I'm calling the police. Do you hear me? I'm calling the police. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, please, Evan, please come home. Oh, Evan, where are you? Okay, okay, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down, honey. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's just me. It's just me. Did you see him? Was he still out there? He who, baby? You didn't see him. Kate, baby, I didn't see anybody. He was here just now at the door. Who? The old man. Don't answer it! Don't answer it! Kate, it's okay. No, Evan, please. It's probably just the sheriff. Why has it taken him so long to get here? Uh, you, you must be Mr. Hicks. Yes. Uh, Evan, how are you? What took you so long? What if there'd been an intruder? Hmm. This is my wife, Kate. Hi there, Miss Hicks. Name's Daryl. Does it always take you an hour to respond to emergency calls? Kate, honey... It... It wasn't an emergency. Not to you, it wasn't. I was alone, Evan. Ma'am, I'm sorry. Our station's a good 25 minutes north of your property. I got here as soon as I could. But I uh, had to take care of another call first. We do what we can out here. That's great. That's just great. Kate. We're like we're like sitting ducks out here. I'm sorry, officer. She's, uh, she's a little rattled. A little. Okay, okay, ma'am. Kate, is it? Okay, Kate. Why don't you tell me about the man you saw? Well, I didn't... Okay, I didn't actually see him... I heard him. You heard him. It was him. It was the man. It was the man from the other night. The one your husband met. Yes. And Mr. Hicks, you told me over the phone that he was an older man. Uh, yeah, uh, late sixties, early seventies, white hair, scar on his forehead, uh, sunglasses at night. Mm. Did he give you a name? No, he just said he wanted to talk to Kate about the children. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He kept asking him for Kate. Said he that the uh, uh, that the children were going to be visiting soon. The, the children. Yeah. Did he? Was he? 
Was he singing? No. Yes. What? What was he singing? Rain, rain, go away. <sighs> Who sold you this house? Oh, we bought it at auction from the city. No one's, no one's talked to you about this this place. We had it inspected. It's it's sound. Taylor Treadwell from the city's got all the papers. Why? Look, this house, this 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 land, it has a uh, has history. What do you mean? I'll tell you what, Mr. Hicks. Huh? I'll have our officers keep you folks on our round sheet. Who was the old man? His name was Joseph Wiley. Was. Look, can you tell me about the house? Well, unless it's been moved, you'll find everything you want to know in the basement. Let me get going. What? Look, call me if you have any problems. Officer, wait! I... Here. Take a flashlight. I'm not going down there. Kate, what do you think we're going to find? Seriously. We shouldn't have moved here, Evan. Honey, it's okay. You saw how he reacted when we told him about the old man. He wouldn't even tell us anything about him. Well, maybe... I don't know. Maybe he's superstitious. About what? I don't know. You know how people get about old stories, old houses. He probably thinks it's haunted. I'm serious, Evan. I don't want to be here. Baby, listen to me. There is nothing wrong with this house. The people out here... These people, Evan, they know more about this land than we do. They overreact about things, Kate. We don't. There are no such things as ghosts or haunted houses. There is absolutely nothing wrong with this house, okay? Now I'm going down to take a look at our basement. You can stay up here or you can come down with me. He's right. The people out here act differently. The ones we actually happen to meet at the market or in the dusty town of Hammond 20 miles away. Or the lake. They keep to themselves and they don't reveal anything about their lives. Or about their history. I follow Evan down into the dark cavern that is our basement. Smells of mildew and dirt. The air is wet. Pipes curl beneath the floorboards above, creating a network of metallic and plastic zigzags that hum like a pair of smokers' lungs. I get the feeling that this house is actually alive. We're beneath its skin, witnessing its organs, its veins, its building blocks. At the bottom of the steps, the flashlights illuminate the foundation broken in places by patches of earth where age has eroded the concrete. We've got some leakage down here. Uh, I'll have to call a plumber. I thought we had the house inspected. We did, but no one was living in it when they came out to do it. We've been using it for five days. We're going to start noticing things they couldn't catch. Like strange men appearing and disappearing. Honey, come on. We just moved in. We're not going to get acclimated immediately. Look, I'm going to check out this corner. Take a look over there by the water heater. Evan wanders off to the west end of the basement. He moves through the dark with annoying familiarity cutting through the blackness with his flashlight. It's not that he's fearless. He's just less willing to believe in things that aren't visible. I wander in the opposite direction and discover a series of tanks. Cobwebs stretch from the ceiling to the floor. Dead things hang in little web cocoons. A roach scuttles beneath the old water tank. I point the flashlight to the left of the tanks and find a small nook. And I see it. Two trunks... Side by side, hiding in plain view. Evan? You find something? Two trunks. Oh, this must be what Daryl was talking about. Let's see. This one's locked. Is there a crowbar or a piece of metal or something on the floor? There's a piece of metal shelf here. Okay, let's see. That's not coming off. Try the other one. Got it. Point your light in here. Clothes? Looks like children's clothes. Well, we could put these to use soon. 
Yeah. Now oh, there's some newspapers in here. Look. What's the date on that? January 23rd, 1952. Look at this. This whole trunk is full of clothes and photographs and toys. I mean, look at all this junk. I wonder how long it's been since anyone's gone through this. Look at all these pictures. Uh, look at their eyes. They're all closed. I've seen these kind of photos before. They're pictures of the dead. People used to dress up their dead loved ones and take pictures of them in lifelike poses. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but these... These look like they were taken in the 50s or something. People stopped posing their dead a long time before that. This is weird, Evan. It's like they took these pictures as... As, I don't know, as a warning or something. Oh, look at that one. Look at all the kids. The children. The photo is black and white and brown. The edges are curled and moth-eaten. It has the smell of age and the subject of youth. A bleacher full of children, posed and positioned. Their eyes are closed. Some are leaning, some are slumped, some are stiff and frozen in odd relief. They're dead, all of them. And the structure behind them looks familiar. A small patch of garden in a white house against the heavy woods. Evan? Is is that our house? I I think it is. What was this house before now? Um, I think it was I think it was a nursery or a or a home or something. What happened to all these children? I don't know. Are all these photographs of They're all dead, yes. Look, here's some more. She must have been the matron. Let me see. She is a larger woman, a flowing patterned gown with a white apron around the front of her. Her eyes are closed, but she still has a stare about her face, like she's still looking at you, disapproving. I don't like the way she looks. I don't like the feel this picture is giving me. Sweetheart, here, take these. I'm going to see if I can pop this other trunk open. You're going to need a crowbar to get that open, Evan. Not if I just position it the right way. Dang. Maybe if I... Looking at these pictures, I'm reminded of my old photos of my great-grandparents. <coughs> the kind of photos that can't have been of real men and women. Or, in this case, children. They look like props in a closet or something painted. Why is it that old pictures of people instantly make them ancient? As if they lived hundreds of years away from right now. As if the camera made ghosts of them. As I flip through them, I notice that there's a photo for each child. Like personal headshots. As I take each one in, I can't help but wonder, who's behind the camera? Who is taking all these pictures? Who posed all of these bodies? Ah, ah. Told you, you're going to need a crowbar. If I knew what box I packed my tools in, I'd go get it. Here, look at these. There's dozens of them. Pass me the other papers. All these pictures are outside. You, you, you think they were taken right before they were buried? I don't know why. Uh, no reason. Evan! What? You're saying they're buried on our property in our land? No. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Sorry. It's not funny. It's a, it's a little funny. Stop it. It's not funny. Evan, Evan, stop. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. Jerk. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Hey, look at this paper. This is kind of cool, you know. Old Cold War news. Look at that. Why would they hang on to all this stuff? I don't know. It's like, open up, like a, opening up a time capsule or something. Yeah, I know. 
Oh, my God. Whoa, what is it? There, there, there on the page, on the other side of the page. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, man. The 32 found dead at orphanage. So they were orphans? I don't like this, Evan. I don't like this one bit. Sheriff Lobdell stated that the mass murder was caused by a poison distributed by the head matron, Miss Irene Thibodeau, who, according to a suicide letter, explained that she was saving the children from, quote, the poisonous rain from the Russian bomb. Fallout. The letter also states that the children were not aware of what they were drinking. Authorities believe the poison took its effect during recess as the bodies of the children were found outside about the yard. God, she, she poisoned them to protect them? I don't like it here, Evan. Oh, wait, hey, listen to this. Sheriff Lobdell stated that the mass murder at the Thibodeau home was discovered by a reporter and friend of Miss Thibodeau, Mr. Joseph Wiley. Jeez. He must be old if he was friends with her in 1952. I don't want to be here anymore, Evan. If he comes around again, maybe we should ask him about the... I don't want him anywhere near this house. Put that stuff down and let's get out of here, please. Uh, honey, calm down. You're overreacting. I am not overreacting. I'm serious. Just let me get something, a hammer or something to pry open this other truck. Evan, you are not hearing me. I want to get out of here now. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my God. It's, okay. it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Come on. Where are we going? We're gonna go see who's at the door. But what if it's him? Well, then we're gonna talk to him. Make sure he understands. Understands what? That he's not welcome here. I'm scared, Evan. It's gonna be fine, sweetie. Just, just stay behind me. Well, hey, Mr. Hicks. Oh, officer, we thought, uh, we thought you were Joseph Wiley. Uh, yeah. Well, I can assure you I'm not, Mr. Wiley. Couldn't be if I tried. Well, you scared us. I'm sorry, Miss Hicks. That wasn't my intention. What can we do for you, officer? Please, call me Daryl. Okay, Daryl. I, uh, uh, I'm just... Well, I wanted you folks to have this. Uh, it's my personal cell phone number. What for? Just in case. Just in case of what? I just... I just want you to have it. I don't... Want to say much else. Daryl, what's going on, man? Look, I'd rather not say, Mr. Hicks. Y'all have a good night. We saw the photographs and the newspaper. Those children were murdered by her, by Miss Thibodeau. What are you not telling us? It's late. Better get going. Good night. I can't stop thinking about the photographs, the headline in the paper, and Daryl's strange behavior. I busy myself with unpacking and take to the garden when I can't stand being inside the house. Even Evan was a little shaken last night. He's only working half a day today, which makes me feel a little less alone. And the sun is out today. There's a warm breeze interrupting the chill in the air. It's a perfect contrast and a welcome change of color. When Evan gets home, I'll make a lunch and hopefully talk him into a picnic. Something to ease the anxiety I have about... about what our doctor told me. About what I haven't told Evan. I'm scared. I'm scared he will leave me. But mostly, I'm scared that he will stay with me out of pity. I did not just hear that. I did not just hear that. Please, please God, please tell me I'm not hearing this. Uh, hello? Hello? I know you're out there. Hello? Uh, it's coming from around the side of the house. 
I stand and freeze. How can I move? Where can I go? I know who you are! Mr. Wiley! Joseph Wiley! I know about this house! I know about what happened here! My, my husband will be home any minute now, and, and you should know we reported you to the sheriff's office. What do you want from me? Stay away from me, do you hear me? Stay away from me! The children are coming to visit you, Kay. How do you... how do you know my name? They've been waiting for you. What? What do they want with me? Your husband will not welcome children that are not his own. He will reject them. What? What are you talking about? He will leave you, Kate, when he learns your secret. How? How do you know about that? He will leave you for someone who will give him his own children. How dare you? I'm telling you the truth, Kate. I'm telling you what will happen. You don't know him. You don't know Evan. He would never... He will! No! And you will be all alone here with us. Why are you saying this? And you will protect the children. Please... Please, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Tonight. They will come for you tonight. No, please, leave me alone. Rain, rain, go away. Come again. I just... I just lost control. I don't know what's come over me. I need to see what's inside. I need to know more. The lock from the trunk lies broken on the basement floor, and I suddenly realize a series of actions I've just gone through. Who am I? What are these books? Social studies, math, lesson plans, pencils, old and tattered scraps of school supplies, pieces of chalkboard slate, more newspapers, more photos... As I rifle through them, a headline catches my eye. U.S. questions USSR's advances in nuclear weaponry. Millions of Americans fear a nuclear blast. Shelters being constructed all across the country in protection against fallout. I flip through more and another headline catches my eye. Adoption rate lowers. Orphanages overcrowded. Government cuts budget on boarding houses. I rummage through the rest of the trunk. Why was it locked? What am I going to find? And then I see it. Oh my god! 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 Oh. Honey? Oh. Hey, where oh. are you? Oh. Evan, Evan, I'm down here! I'm down here! Oh. Baby? Oh. Honey, what are you doing? You opened it. Oh, I found him! I found him! Uh, who did you find? There, there! Look! Where? Oh, is that. Is that... Joseph Wiley. His... His eyes are closed. Look at the paper by the trunk. Man found dead at Thibodeau Estate. Five years after mass murder, Joseph Wiley, 64, committed suicide, police say. Mr. Wiley drove his car to the estate and took his own life with a 12-gauge shotgun. The old man at the door. He's dead, Evan. He's been dead for 50 years. Yeah, Daryl, hi. Uh, this is Evan Hicks. 
I need you to call me back as soon as you get this. Tell him to come to the house. And you had better come to the house. We've got we got to talk. Look, uh, honey, are you okay? Your hands, they're, sh- they're shaking. I don't want to be here anymore, Evan. I want to move back to the city. Kate, honey, I'm sure this is all just uh, a misunderstanding. A what? Maybe he had a son. Maybe the man that keeps coming around, maybe he's a, 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 a relative or something. He knew things, Evan. He knew things about me, things no one else knows. So maybe he's gone through our trash. Maybe he's been in our house when we're not here. No, 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 no. Other things. Things I haven't even told you. Like, like what? He knew that... He knew that children aren't possible for me. What? He knew that that I can't have children. I don't... Honey, I don't understand. The doctor said... I lied, Evan. I lied about what the doctor said. What did he say? He said... He said I'll never have a baby. Kate, why... Why didn't you tell me? I couldn't, Evan. I wanted to, but I was... I was scared. so you lied to me? I am so sorry. How long have you known? Before we moved? Before? Before we moved here? Kate, the whole reason we moved here was to raise a... I can't believe you. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I didn't know what else to do. You should have told me, Kate. I know. I know. I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have brought us here. I wouldn't have... Good God, Kate. I I could have avoided this. Avoided what? Moving here. I wouldn't have brought this house. I, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have... Stayed with me. You shouldn't have lied to me. He said you would leave me. He said you would leave me all alone. Who, the old man? Yes. How long were you before you were going to tell me? I... How long? I don't know. How can I trust you now? How will I ever trust you again? No, no, you can trust me, Evan. You can trust me. Please. Don't touch me. I don't... God, it's like I don't even recognize you anymore. No, no, please don't say that. Please don't say that. I I need to get out of here. Wait. No, Evan, wait. Get off me, Kate. Where, where are you going? To clear my head. Please don't leave. Please. We were in this together, Kate. Together. And you lied to me. You led me on it. You should have told me. No, please. I wanted to, Evan. I wanted to. Then why didn't you? Because, because you would have left me. You wanted to have kids so bad. You wanted your own baby. I still do, Kate. You can't lie about things like that. I'm so sorry. You're selfish. You always have been. Goodbye, Kate. No, 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 please. Please, please don't go, please. No, Evan, please. Please, I love you, please. Evan, oh, Evan. Hello, Kate. No, no. You have visitors. The stranger moves away from the door and I see them. Dozens of children moving towards me out of the wood. They're pale and move slowly. Their eyes don't blink and they never leave mine. They stare at me as if they expect something of me. You killed yourself. I couldn't leave them alone. They were innocent. Miss Chibido poisoned them. She thought she was protecting them. She was a terrible mother. Yes. Who took the pictures? I did. To make sure people remembered. How they died? No. How they lived. In your picture. The next woman who found us. She took my picture. And who was she? She was like you. Me? Childless mothers. There have been many over the years, Kate. Where did they all go? Some have stayed. Some have gone. We've been waiting for you, Kate. What do they want from me? The same thing everyone wants. Protection. Love. Love. To be remembered, 
To know that no matter what, someone is there for us. Someone will always be there no matter what. They want what everyone wants. A mother. Will you stay, Kate? Yes. I'll stay. When will you go away? Come again, some other day. All my friends want to play. When will you go away? You are listening to a live Halloween performance by Chatterbox Audio Theater. This is Kel Christie. You are no doubt familiar with the emotion known as guilt, that harrowing feeling that twists at your stomach and alerts you when you have done something for which you will be made to suffer, either by others or by your own conscience. In our next story, we explore this feeling in great detail, so much so, in fact, that you might find yourself glancing down at your own hands and imagining that they are stained with blood. Chatterbox Audio Theatre presents tonight's sixth and final tale, which is written by Robert Arnold and is titled Stop Shaking. Stop shaking. Try to control it. The expenditure of energy is pointless, and you're going to need every ounce of strength you've got. Fear, panic, dread. Currently, these emotions have no place inside of you. No chapter in the unfolding story of what you must do. Rid yourself of them. What has happened has happened. You cannot change it. It is done. Drop the baseball bat. Its wood is splintered now, stained, ruined. Let it go. Do not allow your mind to spin out a history for this bat, about how it belonged to so-and-so's father, or about how so-and-so swings it at lazily drifting pitches every September weekend. Do not even consider it, the untold life of this object. It is better not to know, and to recognize only that this bat is not yours. This house is not yours. Drop the bat. Get out. Yes, yes, get out, get away, but first, think. What might you be leaving behind? What minuscule trace could be found that will lead some dogged investigator to your door? You put on gloves. That was smart. You parked behind the house. You made sure the blinds were closed. But despite your fanatical care, there must be something you have overlooked. Some clue. If nothing else, surely your own body has betrayed you, has shed a flake of skin or a strand of hair that will turn up to identify you, clear as a fingerprint. Over that, of course, you have no control. And anyway, as a heretofore law-abiding citizen, there's no reason your information should be on file. You must take care of what you can take care of, and you must get out. You must get the painting to your car. The painting, the priceless, exquisite painting, so long considered lost, that had somehow found its way into the old man's collection. He wanted you to value it for him. He invited you, a stranger, into his home to appraise it. He asked you here as a colleague, a consultant, apparently having some idea of the painting's worth. But even his best guess was far too modest, for this is an item that is beyond value. It is, in fact, beyond nearly everything, including the limits of your own conscience. The old man was a fool not to realize this. 
anyone else might have done exactly as you did. You have committed a terrible act in order to acquire this painting, but it is yours now. Stop shaking. Grab the painting. Go. Get out. No one will suspect you because no one knows you are here. No one is aware that the old man has even met you, and no one can identify you because since your arrival, no one, absolutely no one left alive in this world has seen your face. Well, now, this may complicate things. Who are you? Where's my grandpa? Do not speak to the child. Do not respond. Do not try to explain that her grandfather owned something you wanted, something you desired more than anything, even more than a sense of your own humanity, something that you decided must be yours at any cost. At any cost. Grandpa, I can't sleep. Can I stay up for a little while? (laughs) Ignore the scream. Tune it out. It is background noise to you like the late-night intrusion of a neighbor's television set. It may shred your nerves. It may haunt your sleep for years to come. But for now, you must ignore it. You must not let it divert you from the task at hand. The bat is too brutish, too clumsy, and at any rate, you have already broken it nearly in two. Step into the kitchen. Look there. Consider the pile of food-crusted silverware in the sink. The pile that includes a long, smooth carving knife. Take the knife. Do it quickly. Just outside the kitchen, there is a staircase. Near the bottom of the staircase, there is a door. Open it. Excellent. Your guess was correct. The house has a cellar. Take the girl to the cellar. Move. Pick her up if necessary. She is remarkably light in your arms, and her struggling resembles the sad, futile struggling of a moth against a window pane. Do not reflect on how easily your strength triumphs over hers. Do not let the vulgar word slaying enter your mind. The cellar is dimly lit. Breathe in its stale air, thick with the smell of turpentine. You must expect that the faintest whiff of this scent will instantly nauseate you in the future, will transport you back to this dim cellar, this makeshift artist's studio, with an easel in one corner and an old battered couch in the other. Put the girl on the couch. Remove your hand from her mouth. She is calmer now, and she seems to understand that silence is imperative. Nevertheless, it will not hurt to remind her. (laughs) Trust that she will not scream, that she is utterly paralyzed with fear. You were lucky. The girl is an obstacle, nothing more, and an easily surmounted obstacle at that. Disregard the churning in your gut. Disregard the howling in your mind. Focus only on the speed and the resolve with which you must act. Think about what your life will become once you have left this house. About how you will be lifted from the wrenching gears of the quotidian. About how you will be buoyed upward into a world of wealth and comfort. And about how you will have the rest of your years to atone for this moment. (laughs) Put the knife to her neck. Hold it there, firm against the soft flesh. Think of this simply as another job to be done, another item to be checked off your list. As you tighten the muscles in your arm, try to ignore the details of the room, the flood of images that crowd into the periphery of your vision. 
Do not allow your attention to flit over to the studio space, the large wooden easel, the tubes and cans of paint, the scattering of artists' tools. You should simply pay it no mind. And yet the work stacked there in that little corner is so beautiful, so skillful and diverse, effortlessly spanning dozens of artistic movements. Most of the paintings are in various stages of progress, but even the half-formed works strike you as jarringly familiar. In fact, the more complete ones appear, at a glance, as nearly perfect reproductions, forgeries. The old man used this room to create masterfully executed forgeries. You must remember your sense of resolve. You are too far along to even consider changing course. You are still here. You must finish. But it seems pointless now. And suddenly you find your body being racked by a terrible laughter, welling up like blasts of steam from some opened fissure deep within. The girl watches you with wide green eyes, frightened and uncomprehending. You could not explain it to her, even if you tried, even if you could still string words together into some kind of coherent speech. But you cannot. You can do nothing but laugh. Your body shakes with it. On some level, you recognize that you must not lose control, that no matter what has happened, you must still act. And you would, you would, if only you could stop laughing, if only you could stop shaking. And so... Chatterbox Audio Theater's live Halloween performance draws to a close. We trust that we have been able to bring a little extra ghoulishness, all in good fun, of course, to your Halloween night. If you have enjoyed this evening's production, we invite you to visit us online at www.chatterboxtheater.org, where all of our shows are available for free streaming and download. Tonight's production featured the voices of Kel Christie... Tony Isbell, Shannon King, Kevin Murphy, and Robert Arnold. Our stories were written by Robert Arnold, Tony Isbell, Chris Davis, Marcus Brown, and Kyle Hatley. All of tonight's music was composed by Matthew Cruz. Sound effects and sound design by Eric Sefton, Matt Reed, and Michael Toll. The show was produced by Eric Sefton. All the stories were directed by Robert Arnold, except Hostage Situation, which was directed by Tony Isbell. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit, web-based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten, entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org. Boy, I'm hungry. Let's go get some lunch. I'd love to, but I have to work on my tax return. No problem. We'll do both. Both? How? We'll just go to that place where you can file a form and force feed some frijoles at the same time. Of course, you mean Taco Taco Tax. Tax. Good day, senors. I am Hugh, your waiter. 
Here is your menu in your 1040. What would you like today? Mm, I'd like the uh, number seven, please. Ah, the taco enchilada and standard deductions. And you, senor? Gee, I don't know. What do you recommend? Oh, the chimichanga and charitable deduction is very good today. I don't know. Or if you're on a budget, I think you'd like the burritos and bankruptcy platter. We call it Chapter 11 Heaven. No, I had a pretty good year. Oh, too bad, senor. Then you're eligible for our gotta pay a lot of tostada. Both the taxes and the tostada will eat you alive. Fine, I'll take that. Okay, how many nachos? Two. How many dependents? Uh, three. Five. Man alive, no jive? I told you, I had a good year. Now, what to drink? Tea for two. W2? On the double, Hugh. I hope you enjoy your meal. I'll be right back with your refund. Make your taxing more relaxing. You get more on your plate of food that's great, but give much less to the IRS at Taco Tax. Taco Tax. Taco Tax. Taco Tax. Taco Tax. Taco tax. Ah! Taco tax.